Welcome to Rooting For You, a seasonal gardening podcast for non-experts. I'm Tess and I know nothing. And I'm Elise and I know some things. Each week we'll chat about one gardening topic and then discuss the effort reward payoff by asking, is the juice worth the squeeze? Just a heads up, there might be a bit of swearing in this episode. You've been warned. Silver beet is one of the crop recommendations from our episode for what to plant in a less than sunny spot. Now, Elise loves her silver beet. And in that episode, we discussed that we probably need a whole episode on this crop. If you listen to that episode, you might recall our conversation about how to actually eat and cook silver beet. And that's where I want to start today. Maybe like me, listeners are also a little less familiar with the silver beet. So Elise, let's get everyone interested and excited about this crop. Why should we grow and love silver beet? Well, it's absolutely one of the easiest crops to grow. So we will definitely get into that and, you know, how pretty much everyone can incorporate it into their garden. But yeah, let's talk about how to eat it because there's no point growing something if you're not going to eat it, right? A hundred percent. So I have grown a lot of silver beet in my time. When I first um, moved onto the property that I grow veggies now, the previous owners had grown silver beet and they had gone to seed and I had silver beet everywhere. I had an entire veggie patch and it's a big veggie patch of silver beet. (laughs) That was all there was. They were everywhere. But what that experience taught me was firstly silver beets. Silver beet is very easy to grow. You don't even have to put any effort. But secondly, I had to get creative in how to eat it. Mm. So I ate a lot of silver beet. And, you know, it did actually get to the point where I stopped growing it for a few years because I had like OD'd on the silver (laughs) beet. (laughs) But I'm now back on it and it's one of my favourite crops. So... You know, there's a lot you can do with it in the kitchen. Let me run through some of my faves. So at breakfast time, eggs on toast, classic Elise breakfast (laughs) and sometimes dinner. You've got your fry pan out, cut your silver beet finely, heat some olive oil and garlic in the pan and just fry it up, just wilt it down like you would do with your spinach when you're having eggs benedict. And just taking a step back, silver beet's in like the spinach, kale type leafy green family. Yeah. I don't know technically what family it would be, but (laughs) as far as a descriptor for the audience, you're right. Exactly the same way you'd use like the big spinach leaves, not the baby spinach that you'd eat Mm. fresh in a salad, but like the big spinach, the kale, uh, the silver beet. It's also called Swiss chard. It's the same thing. Oh, they're the same thing. Same thing. There you go. Yeah. Kind of like an eggplant and aubergine. Yeah. Right. Courgette and a zucchini. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, anytime you would use any of those ingredients, you can pretty much use... The uh, silver beet. So when, so the only time I would say it doesn't kind of swap out for the kale is in the kale chips. I'm a big fan of the crispy kale chips. You're not oh, going to get right. okay. crispy silver beet chips. I don't think that's a thing. Okay. So if you need a crispy chip, get your kale. Get your kale. Yeah. Everything else. So like a key way I use it is like I make a lot of curries or like tomato ragouts or kind of heavy pasta sauces. And I just thinly slice the silver beet and just kind of stir it through the end of the cooking just to like wilt it down. And then, you know, you're adding a bit of more texture, some more veggies, some more greens, different flavors. And there pretty much isn't a curry or, you know, like a ragu that I would think that like a bit of silver beet couldn't Mm. add to the so it's quite a is it quite a mild flavor like yeah. i'd say spinach is a mild flavor yeah 
I'd say it's quite okay. mild. Maybe a little bit more punchy than spinach. Okay, a bit more personality. Now, my last favourite way to cook it is the old spinach and ricotta pastries, like your spanakopita type things. Yeah, love these. I don't use silver. Be- Sorry, I don't use spinach. I use silver beet instead. Is that just because it's in- available in your garden? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Just because I find it easier to grow than spinach, and I pretty much always got it in the garden. So I think that's a really fun way to use it, and it's kind of no better or worse than spinach. So do you know it's funny you say that? So after our episode on growing for less sunny spots I put in some spinach Mm. and like quite quickly it went to seed like I don't think it's the easiest of the crops that I've grown Mm. or sorry it's certainly not the most successful (laughs) (laughs) yeah I find silver beet is easier than spinach so I would say go for that and if you've got mint and parsley in the garden which I usually do I always add that to my silver beet and ricotta or silver beet and cheese pastries. So that's pretty delicious. And to have like a good whack of those ingredients from the garden is, um, you know, and I've also got the eggs from the garden. So yeah, it's a, it's a staple on the rotation. Fabulous. And can you also like chuck it in smoothies the same way that you would? Yeah, good point. Because like kale is quite fibrous. When mm. we add that to a smoothie, you can't really add that much until you're kind of drinking something pretty thick. But silver beet is a lot more friendly in the smoothie. So yeah, add it in as your green component with your fruit and veg and everything else and Look at that for nutrition. And I love spinach in my salads, but I probably wouldn't put kale in a salad because I don't love the texture of it. Mm. Where does silver beef sit on that scale? I think you don't want to eat it raw. Okay. Yeah, point blank. You probably can. Oh, I think I said this in the shade episode too, is that I find when you when you buy it, it's really tough. And then when you when you grow it, it seems to be a lot softer. But I would say it's not at the point of eating it raw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unless you're blending it in a smoothie. <laughs> Don't need to cook that first. <laughs> Good to point that out. <laughs> Just in case, guys. <laughs> Okie dokie. Anything else you want to say on cooking it, eating it, or should we get stuck into growing it? I think we get stuck into growing it. Fabulous. Okay. Let's talk about why this is a topic that we should be talking about in midsummer. So summer's an interesting time in the garden because there's so much fun stuff to harvest. You know, we've got our tomatoes going game busters, the zucchinis that we're out of control. But we need to just think be carefully to make sure we've still got something to harvest in winter mm. because all those summer crops are going to come out of the garden late autumn. And if you haven't planted anything in addition, you're not going to be eating anything in those cooler months. So the reason I want to talk about silver beet today is I want people to get it in now, kind of end of summer. And come May, when all their other crops are done, they're going to have a beautiful silver beet harvest to enjoy. So just thinking a bit strategically about the succession planting, not necessarily the one crop, but just to make sure there's always something in the garden Mm. and silver beet ticks that. It's also a biannual, which we've mentioned a few times, like your parsley is a biannual. So this means it's going to stay in the garden for up to two years. So we're going to plant it once, but we're going to get you know, edible crop off it for up to two years. So that's a good investment Mm. without much effort. It's also very pretty in the garden. It comes in lots of different colours. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's really a beautiful plant. And the other thing is it's a lot easier than kale. Mm. So kale is great and we will do episodes on kale and I always grow kale as well as silver beet, but it's just, it's a bit harder. One of the main reasons that is, is at this time of year, the cabbage moth butterflies are just, and the caterpillars are out of control, they are not interested in your silver beet. Not interested at all. So, Wow. Because it's a different family. Yeah, okay. Despite being quite similar. 
it's not similar as far as an insect is concerned. Ah, there you go. So, you know, if you've tried kale, which I think a lot of people do, it is quite a trendy thing to grow and you've had any issues with the cabbage moth and the cut- the caterpillar, then give the silverbeet a go. And aside from your couch chips, you're not going to miss out on much. Fabulous. Okay, so let's talk about it's a biannual, so we've got to pick a spot, pick the perfect spot for it in the garden. Mm. Let's talk about what that perfect spot looks like. Yeah, so it can pretty much go anywhere. As discussed in last time's episode, uh, it can handle a decent whack of shade. So if you've got a shadier spot, put it in, but it's also going to be very happy in full sun. So it's really where do you have room? The other thing is you can grow it in a pot, which makes it very easy. As long as the pot is 25 centimetres deep or deeper. Okay. Which is not not asking much there, I don't think. 25 centimetres. And as you pointed out, it is going to be in the ground for two years. So we want a good quality potting mix. Mm. Because, you know, we're only going to get kind of one shot with this and it's going to be feeding off that potting mix for the whole time. So, you know, use a good quality potting mix, especially if you're growing it in a pot. If you're growing it in a garden bed you know same thing i always say add a bit of compost Mm. yeah enrich your soil and whack it in but it doesn't need anything fancy and just to help me visualize like Mm. how big does this plant actually get i would say a small version of this plant would be the size of like a wine bottle okay but they can turn into quite big monsters like a magnum (laughs) nah bigger than a magnum what are we looking at (laughs) we're looking at I mean, when they go to seed and like they can get as tall as you are, like they can grow quite big. Yeah. There's also a variety. It's a green variety that has some name that's escaping me right now. That variety is known for being a big monster. So if you wanted to have like one plant that was going to be all your silver beet needs forever, go the monster variety. (laughs) But I quite like the smaller varieties just because they come in the different colors. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, we can have like a few plants that are smaller that are different colours as opposed to like one big green monster. So being a wine bottle size, Mm. how far apart should we be putting each plant? We should be aiming for a spacing of about 30 centimetres, which given how big the plants can get is actually quite close, but they're cool with that. And if you plant them too close, they're just going to be a slightly smaller version. Mm, And, you know, how many times have we discussed this on the podcast, but when you're growing something that's a leaf crop, it's fine to just have it be a smaller version because the leaves are just, you're just going to get less, but you're going to have more plants. Again, because it's not fruiting, it's not a rooting, it's not that big of a deal. So what I would suggest is if you're growing, like you can plant them, quite close together like closer than 30 centimeters whether it be from seed or seedling and then as they grow and you know if you don't lose any hopefully you don't they all kind of grow up you can use some of the plants as like microgreens and just eat them quite small very trendy so trendy (laughs) and especially when they're all these bright colors they can look really pretty on a salad and then as the plants are getting bigger and competing for space then you would pull some out so that you're left with a spacing of 30 centimetres. Yeah. And then when they are that small microgreen size, mm. more approachable in terms of eating raw? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't cook them. They'd just be a waste. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of plants, actually. Kale is one of them that like you'll often eat as a microgreen, but a raw microgreen, but you won't necessarily eat, eat it. Raw when it's eat it raw when it's green. Yeah. Yep, yep. This is exactly the same. So the million-dollar question every for every episode, every crop... Are we growing from seed or a seedling here? And mm. I've got a little sneaky suspicion because it's a similar family to the lettuce family that we might be growing from seed. 
Yeah, you you bang on. Like they're really easy to grow from seed. So, you know, give it a go. Like if there's one thing that you're going to grow. I do grow most of my silver beet from seed, but occasionally I've bought a punnet of seedlings. They aren't fussed by the transplant. Do you know when I said something like carrots, we actually mm. don't want a transplant. It's detrimental. They're fine. Okay. So do whatever you want. But I would say if there's something to give a go at and there's some way to like kind of save a bit of money in the garden, silver beet from seed is really, really easy. And you can get a lot of what's called like a five color mix and it's just five different varieties that kind of like a dark red, an orange, a yellow, oh, yeah, uh, nice like one. a white. Yeah. And those seed mixes I find are really common as a seed mix, but also as a seedling. Yeah. So, okay. you know, sometimes I say you can't get the fun stuff in seedlings. Silver beet. Here we can. We can. Mm-hmm. So whatever, whatever works for you. And what, what does the seed look like? Have you, do you know what a beetroot seed looks like? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously okay. do not. <laughs> it looks, <laughs> I thought you grew some beetroots at some point, but maybe not. Mm. Um, anyway, topic for another day. So they look like a, you know, a spiky ball you use when you do like physio? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a mini spiky ball. Yeah. yeah. They've got like like a like a star shape, like a 3D star. Oh, but how cute. Yeah, they actually are quite pretty. They're, look, compared to like a lettuce seed, they're massive, but compared to a snow pea, they're quite small. I would say they're like middle range size seeds. Okay. But they're big enough that they're easy to handle because I find sometimes when like a poppy seed, for example, like, yeah, yeah. Poppies, like they're just so small that they're just, it's, it's actually hard to work with. They're mm. a nice, easy size to work with. Okay. So, you know, if there's anything you're going to go from seed, try this. So if we're growing from seed, would you direct sow or container grow? Oh, you can do both either, but I think it really comes down to the space situation. So if I had an empty, if you wanted to plant right now today, you're listening to this, you've got the empty bed, I would direct sow mm-hmm. because it's going to just save you time. But at this time of year, I'm really conscious that you've got different plants that are coming out at different times and kind of space is really a premium. So I pretty much always contain and grow it first, mm-hmm. mainly just to maximize my space. But if yep. the bed's empty already, direct so. And then are you sprinkling them in or do you set them out in a pattern? I would set them out in a pattern. Okay. But I would plant them like you know I said 30 centimeters earlier I would probably plant them every 10 centimeters of course because and then not, every, not all time. of them germinate so. exactly not all of them germinate and even you know the ones that do in between I can harvest them I can utilize that space and to get the microgreens early on and then just let the strongest plants kind of go mm. to be their full life size so what do we need to worry about in early stages of life the two things to worry about are kind of the same whether you're going from seed or seedling is firstly the moisture. Mm-hmm. So we're planting these in summer, which is a great time to grow something small because with the heat, it's just going to germinate so fast and it's going to double in size, triple in size so fast. So it's a fun time to grow something young. But what you have to remember is this heat can be very brutal. Those seeds and when they turn into a seedling have the tiniest baby roots and they just cannot access moisture like your bigger plants can. So your tomato out there that's huge, he's got a very big root system. Even if his topsoil dries out, his bottom roots can reach the moisture at kind of all points of the day. Your little silver beet, when it's got, you know, one centimetre of roots, (laughs) it's only got that top level to access. And if you let it dry out on that top level, you're going to be in trouble. 
So the one comment about growing young plants in the middle of summer is you are going to have to just be so diligent for two weeks on the watering, okay. just until they're a bit more established. And like in my garden, I have irrigation kind of throughout it, dripper lines, and that is brilliant for all my summer crops, except it's not good enough for seeds and seedlings that's a good point yeah so because there's no ability for these roots to kind of reach any other moisture i do need to get the hose and just give the whole thing a really good mist a couple of times a day if it's really hot in this weather just until they're established and does it matter what time of day you're going out doing your watering no they're not prone to fungal infections like tomatoes and zucchini and things like that so i'd say whenever but i mean if it's all the same to you do it in the morning Mm -hmm. the other only other problem we're going to face potentially is slugs and snails are going to enjoy the seedlings when you plant them or when they emerge from seeds that's your one big problem here Mm. now lucky for you we've got a whole episode in what to do so many options to how to deal with your slugs and snails exactly so give that a listen and just have something in mind now once the plants are about a beer bottle size, those slugs and snails aren't going to be able to do enough damage. So once you've got them to that safe size, you Mm -hmm. can kind of chill your beans. But just when they're young, they are going to be susceptible, even in summer. Is summer a big time for slugs and snails? Like I feel like I've seen a few around this week. We've also just had a bucket load of water here in Melbourne. Yeah, you're totally right in that if it was a really dry summer – there actually probably wouldn't be an issue with the slugs and snails, but we've had a bucket load of rain and I also have seen heaps more slugs and snails around than you usually would mm-hmm. in the summer. So I suppose if it's a dry summer, then you've got the advantage of not many slugs and snails around, but you, that moisture issue is going to be a big one. The summer that we're having at the moment, moister, so you're going to have the watering is not going to be an issue, but it does make it more friendly for our slimy friends. Mm. Mm. <laughs> So watch out. But once they're past that kind of early critical issue size, there pretty much isn't anything else, bugs, slugs, funguses that oh, are okay. particularly interested. Yeah. Pretty hardy. Easy peasy. Yeah. So ongoing maintenance and care, do we need to be topping up our compost with any kind of fertilizer? Like what are we looking at here? So given they're a leafy green, that means they like the nitrogen, which is pretty readily available in most soils so they're not a heavy feeder you don't need to stress too much about that but if you had some worm tea they would like that especially when they're young so just give them water with that and bob's your uncle and especially if you've you know enriched the soil when you've planted them you're not going to need to subsequently feed i will say though they would benefit from mulching oh okay right so once they're big enough to mulch around them get some pea straw or whatever else and as that breaks down that is going to feed the soil Mm. as well the thing with the silver beet being a biannual is you know they will happily live for two years as long as we don't stress them out early so Mm. by having that mulch around them especially in the warmer months it's just going to keep the soil cooler it's going to keep the moisture constant it's going to keep the plant happy and that means we're going to get a lot more silver beet across the life of that plant because even with a biannual if you plant it and you stress it out it doesn't have moisture these kind of things when it's young it will not last for two years Mm. it will bolt it'll say you know this is getting hectic i need to reproduce and get out of here yeah so the mulching is it's not you know essential like when i say you got to mulch potatoes but i think it does go a long way so i think i kind of assume this but may as well say it 
it's like a cut and come again plant, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Like exactly like a loose leaf lettuce. So just cut the outer leaves as you need them and like the new ones will grow and form. So that actually, I didn't even mention this at the start, but good point. It's another reason why it's such a versatile crop because when when you want it, you cut what you want and you can just leave the rest on the plant. It's not like, you know, with a zucchini, it's like this thing's ready, it's got to be harvested now. You just harvest it as you like and the little uh, the little leaves in the middle will just grow into the big leaves on the outside. And when we're harvesting the leaves off, just mm. chop with your secateurs like quite close to the yeah. main stem stem yeah and then the the stem will kind of continue getting taller and more leaves will come off it and it'll kind of have like a bit of a naked bottom but that's fine i feel like you have you've put this wine bottle image in my head now so i'm pitching like the thickness of a wine bottle for the stem the stem after two years if you've looked after that plant will probably be the thickness of a wine bottle like it can turn into a monster (laughs) but that is you know the best case scenario of like a well looked after plant in the early days it'll be like the neck of the wine bottle sure you know and then as it grows it just keeps getting fatter and fatter and taller and taller with Mm. more leaves coming off if anyone's grown kale for any extended period of time it's that same kind of thing that towards the end of the life it kind of looks like a palm tree because you've harvested the bottom part of Ah, it and then all the leaves are at the top okay cool yeah anything else that we need to be thinking about in terms of the life cycle of a silver beet I don't think so, but I do. You can grow silver beet all year round. This is not something that has to be grown in summer, like a tomato, for example. But I will say it's just a lot easier getting stuff started in the warmer months than if we started it, you know, in May for our winter harvest. Mm. We probably actually wouldn't be eating any until late spring, early summer anyway. So I think even though silver beet is one of those plants that, yes, you can plant it in winter. You can plant it in the middle of winter and it will grow But as far as getting it to a size where we can harvest it, it's much better starting it now. If we're starting it now, like May, we'll get our first harvest. I mean, we've got the micros, of course, because we're so trendy. But (laughs) (laughs) You can harvest it at any time. But, you know, the more you take early, the less it's going to give you or like the more time it's going to need to recover to give you more later. Mm. So you can harvest it as soon as it looks good. And as long as you've left enough leaves that the plant can continue to like photosynthesize and do its thing, it'll be good. Kind of like when you, you know, harvesting the outer parts of a lettuce. So the big question, is the juice worth the squeeze? This is where we look at the effort reward ratio of today's topic. The categories are, Superstar, high effort, high reward. Completing this will make you feel like an absolute rock star. Best on ground, low effort, high reward. Quick wins and fill-ins, low effort, low reward. And finally, the wooden spoon, high effort, but not much reward. So going to the squeezy juice matrix, I think it's pretty clear what my vote's going to be, but Tess, tell me where your head's at. I think absolutely it is a best on ground, low effort, high reward. It just seems like it's falling into this category of super, super easy crops that are not high maintenance and they're going to give you, I mean, yield for two years is fabulous. Mm. Can I just check off like one plant, how many leaves are you harvesting at a time? Like you're getting a salad's worth or like how often would you get... A, a salad for two off your one plant. Hmm. When you say salad, though, we're, we're cooking it down. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Of course. 
<laughs> like a stir fry's worth. A stir fry. A stir yeah. fry's worth. A dinner's okay. portion. A dinner's worth for two. I would say you could get that in the warmer months every week. Okay. Yeah, and then in the cooler months, it's going to seriously slow. So yeah. it might be every two or three weeks you can take that much off one plant. And you might have a couple of plants well, as well. Yeah, so. so like that's another thing just when you were talking then that made me think of is like if you're not going to use heaps of it, you just put in one plant, you know, mm. or you put in two plants. Or if you are going to use heaps, like I would have, you know, I would have 10 plants in at a time. But like I kind of like the fact that you can just have as many or as little as you want and it's not a massive investment. Like putting in, put in one plant or two plants and just see how much of it you eat and then maybe next year, you know, you'll put in a lot more. But like you're not – it's not like something like a pumpkin where like it's a big commitment in space. Mm. It's just you grow what you want. But I would say the average person, like the two-person family like you, would probably want two plants. Okay, brilliant. I mean, I think it goes without saying that you're probably saying best on ground as well. (laughs) (laughs) I am definitely saying best on ground. And I think really if I scaled everything back in my garden and only grew a couple of crops, silver beet would still get a look in. So, And particularly like with your the story, the intro about it just looks after itself. It will mm. go to seed and it will just keep coming. Yeah. I mean, you might get a field of it. <laughs> exactly. If you if you let it go to seed and, you know, don't do anything about that, you will get a crazy amount. Now, I almost don't like that because I'm way too anal retentive and organised in the garden. But, like, if you're, like, you know, all fancy free and happy for edibles to pop up whenever, like, you will never have to do anything when it comes to silver beet and have plenty of it to eat. So I've been thinking of this for the entire episode when you said oh, the no. aubergine eggplant thing. Um, <laughs> is it cilantro? That's the other word for coriander? Yes. Oh, I literally have there been ruminating go. on it. <laughs> <laughs> How many more can we think yeah. of? <laughs> Rooting for You is hosted by Elise and Tess. Artwork by Lauren Janine. You can find us on Instagram at rootingforyoupod or email rootingforyou at elisealexandra.com. And remember, we are rooting for you.